Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Going back to James 4. James 4. So, new series here that we're just getting into. How to receive more grace. God himself has more help to give me and you as a child of God. And I guarantee you this is so critical that we realize different than natural life to some degree. You know, in natural life you have parents. They raise you in your home. They hopefully help you get a foot, a foot, good footed hold in starting out life and doing what obviously you're to do in relationship to what God's will is for your life to walk that out. But, you know, obviously once you leave the home, people kind of get up more so on their own, of course. To some degree that's good. To some degree that may be not so good. And now they're living out this life based on what they think they need to do, what they, how they need to live, etc. And sometimes they drift away from what their parents instilled in them and wanted to help them with. It's a little different with God. God doesn't want us to ever leave Him in relationship to walking out this life. It's not like now we step out of, you know, where we are as a baby Christian and start just doing stuff on our own. No, God wants to be there every step of the way. God wants to help us every step of the way. And I'm grateful for that. Amen. If you have God's help, you got everything you need. You have everything you need. So we got to learn how to receive this in relationship to what Scripture teaches us about this. James chapter 4 again, our foundation verses beginning in verse 6. Talking about God here, He, God, gives, gives, gives more grace. What does He do? Gives more grace. What's more grace? More of heaven's help. Grace is what you and I could not do. Grace is only what God could do. Think about that. When we talk about God's help, we're not talking about you trying to overcome stuff with your own ability, your willpower, your strength. We're talking about learning how to draw from God His help. If you're drawing from God His help, guess what? You're walking in supernatural strength. You're walking in supernatural help because our God's a supernatural God. So verse 5, He gives more grace. Therefore, He says, related to this, God does what? He resists the proud. But who does He give this grace to? The humble. The humble. So who are the humble biblically? Verse 7 begins to tell you. Four things to walk in Bible humility. Therefore. Why therefore? What therefore? Every time you see the word therefore, you need to know what it's there for. What are we referring to? What do you mean therefore? Because God gives more grace to the humble. He now tells you how to be biblically humble. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will do what? Flee from you. So the first thing we've got to do is learn to do what? Submit to God. If you submit to God, you'll automatically resist the devil. And I'll guarantee you, if you do, he'll flee from you. We're going to talk about that a little more tonight. Number two, draw near to God and he will do what? Isn't that pretty obvious? If I want God's help, don't I need to draw near to him? Sure I do. See, this isn't like, again, leaving the home, drawing away from your parents. This is not like that at all. The moment we get born again, we don't want to draw away from God. We want to draw closer to him. And if we draw near to God, guess what he's going to do? He'll draw near to us. Notice what else he says. Number three, cleanse your hands, 
You sinners, we'll address that when we get to it, but that's something you're capable of doing. That doesn't mean there's not things that you might have to deal with that are a stronghold in your life that you are going to see in the context supernaturally God's help to help you accomplish that, but we're going to talk about that as something that you do, that you release. And then the last one, number four, purify your hearts, you double-minded. So four things to Bible humility. Submit to God and you'll resist the devil. Two, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Three, cleanse your hands of sin. And then four, purify your hearts from being what? Double-minded. Double-minded. So we're still touching on number one, submit to God. The phrase submit there means to be what? To be under the power of, control, and governance or governing of another. Under the power, control, and governing of another. So if we want to do that, what do we need to do? So I've already said it multiple times in the previous messages. But isn't it amazing, even in the midst of preaching, oftentimes people still don't get it. So I really want you to get it. What does it mean that you and I submit to God? We have to agree with Him. What are we agreeing about? Let's see, let's see how well I've taught you already in the first couple lessons. What are we agreeing about with God? What am I in agreement with? Who He says I am. What He says I have. Says I'm, I'm working on my new devotional, uh, In Christ Daily Devotional going through all the scriptures in the New Testament that talk about who you are. Now, I wouldn't wait for the devotional, though. But here's what I would do. If you want to agree with God, guess what you're going to have to find out? You should, as a believer, if you want all of what heaven's help has to offer you, you should know everything the New Testament says about you in Christ. Who are you in Christ? Because who you are in Christ is who God says you are. What God says you have, what God says you can do. So you got to realize if you don't take time to learn those things and study them, this will not work for you. I'm going to tell you right now, a message like this really has very little to no impact on a Christian's life who doesn't get serious about finding these things out. If you're not going to take the time to dig in, renew your mind. See, how does transformation occur on the outside according to Romans 12 too? Got to renew your mind to the new guy on the inside. And I've got to do that by taking time to go to the Bible and learn about who I am. We have them back here on the back table, but you can, a whole list of these verses, but you can just go through Romans to Revelation, and through Romans to Revelation, every time you see in Christ, in whom, in him, that's you. That's who you are in God. And you've got to start finding that out. It's one thing to say, okay, I need to agree with God. But when do you need to agree with God? Can I help you? Before you walk out the door. When the devil's trying to lie to you and make you think that you can't do this. And especially after you walk out the door. When you wake up tomorrow and all of a sudden you're dealing with a difficult situation or something you didn't plan on or whatever. And next thing you know, you start talking about yourself contrary to the word. And when you start con talking contrary to the word, guess what you're not doing? Submitting to God. You're not in agreement with him. And if you're in agreement with him, great things happen. There is all kinds of power in agreement with God. All you're doing, folks, is you're taking advantage of the power of the Word. You listening? God's Word's a seed that has the ability to bring to pass exactly what it says. And God's Word itself is anointed. God's Word itself is full of power. So, listen, agreeing with God isn't just saying amen in a service like this. Agreeing with God is going home and starting declaring who God says you are. You're not in agreement without your confession. You're not in agreement if you're not declaring Let's go back to Abraham as an example. God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. So how do we know Abram's in agreement with God? How do we know? 
Because from that day forward, how many think, obviously, when older friends would come up to Abram, at, you know, who was Abram, now Abraham, they, what was the first thing out of their mouth when they saw him? I mean, if I didn't know God changed Kathy's name to Kathleen or something like that, I walk up and I say, hey, Kathy, how you doing? If you're just somebody I knew, right? But guess what? If God changed her name, guess what she's going to do? That's not who I am anymore. What do you mean that's not who you are? Well, I'm Catherine. Okay. Well, I know you as Kathy. Well, that's not who I am. So you got to understand that all this world's designed to try to get you to not agree with God. So guess what Abram had to do? Abram had to face every situation that brought to his remembrance the old name Abram, who was not Abraham, father of a multitude, which was the promise of God. And he had to do what? Counter that with his own mouth. He had to tell all those people, I'm not Abram, I'm Abraham. Now, in their day, for you and me, that may not seem like much. But in their day, it was. Because they knew names meant something. And they understood what the name Abraham meant. From the Hebrew language, they understood that means father of a multitude, father of many. When his wife was barren, not even able to have children, and the guy's almost 100 years old. What do you think? Do you really think his friends didn't look at him and say, are you kidding? Who are you? I'm Abraham. Really? Father of a multitude? You don't even have one child. How could you be father of a multitude? Well, guess what? Not only will your friends sadly do that, but guess what else to do that? Your own little natural thinking. Your own little reason. As he starts walking this out, 10 years later till that came to pass, what happens? He begins to even question it at part of his life. So you got to realize you got to deal with these things if you're going to get God's help. He wouldn't have got heaven's help if he just stopped saying, I'm Abraham. Can I get a better amen? Your confession is the most important thing you have in your life. Because what this is an absolute. Agree with it or not, go read James 3 again. As well as uh, what Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life is in the power of the tongue. You want the life of God? It's in your tongue. So whether you like it or not, confession brings possession. If you confess bad things, guess what? You keep confessing them long enough, you'll start believing them. You're going to possess them. Jesus said very clearly in Mark 11, 23 and 24, you got to understand this in relationship actually to what we know. Mark 11, 24 said, if you believe something and say it, it'll come to pass. He didn't say just the word of God. How do you, become, how do you begin to believe stuff? By hearing it. When the Bible says faith comes by hearing, it didn't just say faith in God. You listening? In relationship to, obviously, faith in God comes by hearing, and hearing, therefore, by the word. But notice the first statement. Faith comes by hearing. But if you want faith in God, guess what? And hearing by the word of God. So if I want faith in God, I got to hear the word. Well, guess who you need to hear it from more than anybody else? Yourself. Yourself. So, again, to submit to God means to come under the power, control, and governance of another. Go to Luke chapter 8. This is Bible humility. Bible humility, say it. Say it again, please. Can everybody say it with me? Bible humility, your turn, is agreeing with God. If I'm agreeing with God, what am I agreeing with? What he says I am, what he says I have, what he says I can do. Who are we specifically talking about, of course? Believers. Who you are now that you're born again, born of God. The moment you got born again, guess what? Everything changed. Everything inside. 
Everything within you changed. Luke chapter 8. So we've been looking at the parable of the sower in the book of Mark. I want to show you Luke's account to get a little better even understanding of the significance of what we're talking about in submitting to God and agreeing with God. In Luke chapter 8 verse 15, of course we've already talked about the previous types of soil. This is four types of soil. What's the soil represent please? Your heart, what is actually to be planted here in these contexts of these verses in your heart? The Word of God. If the Word goes into wayside soil, what happens? Satan immediately takes it away. If the, soil, if the seed goes into stony ground, what happens? Well, it starts to grow up, but persecution comes. And because you have no root in yourself, guess what? It goes away. What about thorny ground? Well, it starts growing up a little further than stony ground. But what happens with thorny ground? The thorns grow up around it and they choke it out and it kills it. But what if you're good ground? Heaven's help. You're getting heaven's help. The word's working for you. So here in Luke's account, chapter 8, verse 15, he says the ones that fell on good ground, that's a good heart, that's a heart receptive and in agreement with God. What would be good ground? I'm in, I'm in agreement with God, as you're going to see again. Those who are uh, good ground, the seed who fell on good ground, notice, having heard the word, what do they hear it with? A noble and good heart, the New King James says. Remember, Mark's account just said to accept it. If they accept it, if they take it as their own. Here it's saying and adding with that, that you're listening and hearing and receiving the word with a noble and good heart, and they do what? They keep it. They do what? They keep it. They don't just hear it, they keep it. And they therefore bear fruit with what? Patience. They understand this may not change my life in relationship to the natural tomorrow, but it's going to. I said that's, that it's going to. That word's going to in Jesus' name. So notice here, noble and good heart. What's he referring to? If you look this context up in the Greek language, it's, let me just simplify it. It's referring to a heart that is agreeable with God. The actual phrase here for good heart is agreeable. Agreeable. One who's just simply going to do what? I'm going to agree with God no matter what. That's easier said than done. A lot of people still hear the word of God. If you talk to a believer directly who's ever heard the Bible talk about healing and say, do you believe God's already healed you? Yeah. But then just hang around them for a few hours. And if they're dealing with stuff, let them start talking about their body. Well, I got this and I got that and I'm dealing with this and I'm dealing with that. Guess what? You're not going to help by talking about all of that. You're not going to get heaven's help. Does it mean we deny it's there? No. No, we do not. You got to understand that agreeing with God is a walk of faith. If you're walking by faith, guess what you're doing? You're agreeing with God. If you're walking by faith, another way to say it is if you're submitting to God, what are you doing? I'm walking by faith because I'm in agreement with God. God's a faith God. How would you be in agreement with God submitted to him if you're not walking by faith? You wouldn't be. But if you're walking by faith, guess what you're doing? You're agreeing with God. So he says it's an agreeable heart that also does what? Keeps it. Now that's important. So he adds an element here. The agreeable part is very similar to what Mark said. He accepts it. He takes it his own. But Luke's account adds another word here. Luke's account says he also does what? He keeps it. Now this actual word in the Greek language means he literally takes a hold of it and he won't let it go. You listening? He takes a hold of it and he won't let it go. So it's easier for people to agree with the word when they hear it, but do you take a hold of it and then not let it go? 
that you say, I'm taking a hold of that. I ain't letting go of that. Well, how do you not let go of it? You stop saying anything contrary to what God says, and you continually say what God says. Nothing else. And by doing so, guess what you begin to do? You begin to agree with God. The more you agree with God, the more heaven's help comes. Because the more you agree with God, especially agreeing in relationship to his word, you're agreeing with God. Guess what the word does? It goes to work. So another way to say it again is if I'm agreeing with God in my heart about the word, what am I really doing, pastor? You're exercising faith. Because you're confessing what the word says about you and you're believing it. And you're acting upon it. So in essence, you really are now on a walk of faith. You're not going by what you see. Right? Because if you're in disagreement with God, why would you be in disagreement with God? You're going by what you see. You're going by what you're hearing. You're going by what you're feeling. You're going by what everybody else is saying. It don't matter what the world says or what your circumstances say. All that really matters to the believer, if you want heaven's help, what did God say about this? What did God say? You're going to see in a minute that's critical for us in relationship to the truth of something we got to take on if we want to get more of heaven's help by submitting to him. Amen? So again, if I'm going to, quote unquote, get heaven's help by submission, I not only have to agree in who he says I am, what he says I have, what he says I can do. Guess what I got to do? Like a bulldog, you got to latch onto that and say, I ain't letting go. Meaning that I don't care how bad it looks. I don't care how difficult it may seem to get. Guess what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to let go of who God says I am. I'm going to say it from now until I am blue in the face if I have to, but I am not letting go of what God says about me. And therefore, I'm not going to do what? Stop confessing it. Now, this is critical for us to walk in position of submission to God to get heaven's help. So if you hear it, you also have to do what? You have to keep it. You have to latch on to it and hold on to it. And if you do so, guess what you're going to do? Bear fruit with what? Patience. Patience here doesn't mean you just sit down and wait for something to happen. Patience means you're consistent. You don't say one thing today as it relates to what God says about you and then say something tomorrow. But a lot of Christians do. Go to Ephesians 6 while I'm still talking. I'll get you ahead of time to the next set of verses. Go to Ephesians 6. We're going to spend the rest of tonight. So in essence, what I'm saying is, is you got to recognize that to really agree with God and to therefore be submitted to him, point number one of Bible humility, be submitted to God. So if I'm really in agreement with him, guess what I'm not doing? I'm not doing it once in a while. So you're not really submitted if you only try it one, one or two or three days and now all of a sudden you go back to talking contrary. Then you never were submitted. Because if you are submitted, guess what you do? You don't let go of it. You don't let go. You don't get out of submission. You hang on to it. Because you know it's the truth. I said, you know it's the truth. And therefore, you know it'll do what? Set you free. Can I get a better amen? Matter of fact, hold your place here. And I'm going to show you this as it relates in another context of faith. Go back with me, please, real quick for the 2 Corinthians. Just back up a little bit. Come on, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So this refers to the exact same thing of what I just referred to in, in receiving. In relationship to receiving the words, we're going to see in a minute. How's that going to happen if I'm not in the word consistently and I'm not confessing it? It's not. You're not going to be in agreement with God. We talked about this morning. Remember what Mark's account said about this? Take heed what you hear. Take heed. If I'm hearing what God says, I'm heeding that. But I'm also doing what? Taking heed in relationship to other things I hear. 
I got to start tuning other things out that's hindering me and hearing what God wants me to hear. What God wants me to agree with so I can get his help. Amen. And that's the problem. The devil has so many different voices in the world, all of which the Bible says none are without significance. And this is why we got to be careful who our friends are. This is why we got to be careful what type of shows we watch. We got to be careful what we look at on social media. We got to be careful of type, uh, different types of influences in our life. Because if we're going to agree with God, we got to watch uh, uh, every aspect of everything else coming at us that's in disagreement. And we don't need to be listening to that. So 2 Corinthians 4, very similar verses will tell you this. Verse 16, notice this. Therefore, notice, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. So even though the outward man is perishing, what do we not do? Even though the outward man is going through a process of change, guess what we don't do? We don't lose heart. Why? Because the inward man is being what? Renewed day by day. Our light affliction, what we deal with in this earth, literally he is telling us, Paul, who went through all kinds of attacks, is saying it's a light affliction. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us what? A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. How could Paul by the Holy Spirit say our light affliction? Because he understood how to get heaven's help to go through these types of afflictions. If you've got heaven's help, guess what afflictions will look like to you? Light. Light afflictions. How much do things, again, how much do things rattle your cage? How much do things affect you in this life? How easy is it to all of a sudden get a bad attitude in a day? <clears throat> I don't see Jesus very easily affected with anything going on around him to cause him to get in a bad attitude. Can I get a better amen? So understand, for us to agree with God, we got to be proactive. We don't sit back and wait for all of a sudden all these things contrary to come to our life. No, 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 no. We are already driving them back by being proactive, going into the Word of God, and finding out what God's Word says. Our light affliction, 17, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceedingly eternal weight of glory. Why? Why? Verse 18, listen, while we do not look, you got to underline it. You ought to highlight it. You ought to put arrows pointing to it. We do not look at with the things which are seen. Does it, does it mean we deny they're there? No, I just don't look at them. I don't look at them. Yeah, but my body hurts. Stop looking at it. Stop focusing on it. How many want heaven's help? You keep looking at your body and you're going to be talking pain and you're going to be talking sickness and you're going to be talking disease and you're going to be talking defeat. And God can't help you with that type of a confession. Jesus is the high priest over our confession. Meaning what? What's a high priest? One who brings it into effect. But guess what he, guess what he is not high priest over of your confession? Disease, sickness, defeat, fear, Worry, frustration. You talk all those things and Jesus can't help you with those. Guess what I'm doing? I'm hindering myself from heaven's help. I'm not being humble to submit under God and agree with God. How am I, how am I doing that? By looking at the things which you're seeing, which is exactly what the devil wants you to do. Because if the devil can get you to look at what's seen and focused on that, guess what he knows? He knows better than most Christians. You're not going to be agreeing with God with your mouth. You're going to be agreeing with me. And then he can help you. But his help ain't good. He wants to help you. What does he want to help with? Stealing, killing, and destroying. 
That's the help He wants to bring to your life. He wants to kill your life in relationship to what you do in this life, whether it's relationships with others or even financially or even health-wise, you name it. He wants to steal your health. He wants to steal your blessings. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your peace. He wants to steal your anointing, which is all part of God's help from heaven. So notice, while we do not look at the things which are seen, while we do not look at the things which are seen, while we do not look at the things which are seen, while we do not look at the things which are seen, we are not to lose heart, but you're going to if you keep looking at what's seen. Losing heart is losing faith in God. Losing heart is no longer submitting to God. Losing heart is no longer being humble and accepting what God says. You listening? How do we lose heart? You are looking at the things which are seen. But Paul said, we don't lose heart. Talking about him and the disciples and those who want to walk in this very same life. How do we not lose heart? We don't look at the things which are seen. But we got to look at something. So what do we do? But we look at the things which are what? Not seen. Well, what is it that may not be seen yet? What God has promised you may not be true in the natural yet, but what do you do? You keep looking at what God said, not what's seen. Why do we not look at what's seen? Notice this. For the things which are seen are what are? are what are they? For the things which are seen are what? What are they? Temporary. They're what? Temporary. Shout it at me. Temporary. Oh, come on, man. Shout it at me. Temporary. Some of you shout louder for the cowboys <laughs> or whoever. They're temporary. Say temporary. temporary. Now, what does that mean? They're subject to change. See, this is why the devil wants us to not agree with God and stay focused on what we see and what's going on around us and what we feel in our body. Here's why. Because even the devil knows that subject should change. Meaning what? I got you on a roller coaster ride. You listening? You're going to continue to go in and out and up and down in all the aspects of what you're dealing with in life because all this stuff's going to keep changing for, for obviously in relationship to your life. It may look a little better for a while, but then it's going to come back and you're just going to be up and down and up and down. Notice, for the things which you're seeing are temporary, subject to change, but the things which are not, are, are not seen are what? They're eternal, which would refer to the Word of God, the things of God. So notice how we do this. We don't lose heart by what? By looking at the things which are seen. We don't lose heart by what? By, by look, if, you're, if you are, uh, excuse me, by not looking at things which are seen. If we're not looking at things which are seen, guess what we won't do? Lose heart. So if we don't lose heart, guess what's going to be the evidence of that? Back up to verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith. Think about this. You have the same faith God has. Because it's his faith. Since we have the same spirit of faith, notice this, according to what's written about it, I believed and therefore I spoke. What should we then be doing? <coughs> what should we be doing? Believing. We should be, leaving, be believing and doing what? Speaking. Therefore speak. So how am I going to agree with God? Don't just say you believe what God said. Say it. That's right. Say it. Well, I don't know if I believe it. Start saying it. Start, you've already got faith in your heart. Start activating the faith that's in your heart. And start saying it. F.F. Bosworth, who wrote Christ the Healer, powerful book, he said, I could get most people healed if I could just get them to start saying what the Bible already says about their body. And keep them saying it. If I could do that, and I, I would tell them, don't wait till you believe it to start saying it. Start saying it. And keep saying it. This was his statement. Keep saying it till you believe it. 
And once you believe it, keep saying it. Can I get a better amen? amen? Now you're doing what? Agreeing with God. The moment you start saying what heaven says and denying what the world says, your body says, your circumstances say, guess what just started kicking in in your life? Heaven's help. Heaven's help. So this is how we recognize this context of us walking in submission to God by doing what? By agreeing with God. You're not agreeing with God if you're looking at what's seen and going by that. You're agreeing with God by what God said and going by that. And if you're going by what God said, guess what you're doing? You're saying what God said all the time. Now to Ephesians chapter 6. So when we talk about submission to God, what are we doing at the same time we're submitting to God? We're resisting the devil. Can you think of some similar verses that go along with this? How about the armor of God? Because if you're submitting to God, guess what you're doing? You're walking in the armor. Now, I have a question. Whose armor is it? It is not yours. It's God's armor. How many think it works? It does. All we got to do is do what? Put it on. So if we put it on, really, what are we doing if we put on the armor of God? We are submitting to God. We are agreeing with what God says about us. And if we do that, what are we going to get? Heaven's help. His armor will work. I said his armor will work. You don't have to try to figure out how to get the armor to work. Your job is not to try to get the armor to work. Your armor is to put it on. Put it on, it works. So notice this. We see very similar statements here made about the armor. Ephesians 6 verse 10. We're talking about point number one. In getting heaven's help, we got to submit to God. If we do, we resist the devil. And therefore we do what? We receive heaven's help in relationship to humbling ourselves in submission to God, agreeing with God. Verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in what? Now, if you have never underlined that in your Bible, get it underlined tonight. Be strong in the Lord. God is not telling you that you are going to walk in a position of victory in relationship to the help of heaven by your strength. How are you going to walk in victory? By getting heaven's help. If you've got heaven's help, guess what you are? You're strong in the Lord. You're not strong in your might, you're strong in his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of what? His might. So how do we do that in relationship to these verses? Verse 11 tells you, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to do what? Stand Stand against what? The wiles of schemes. Satan's a schemer. What's he trying to do in, in your life, scheming in your life? He's trying to get you to agree with him. He's trying to get you to not be submissive to what God says about you. He wants you to agree with everything he says. He wants you to agree with what he says you are, what he says you have, and what he says you can do. And more honestly, he wants you to agree with who he says you're not, what he says you don't have, and what he says you can't do. Because he's opposed to God. So what do we got to do? Put on the whole armor of God. 12, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, Against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Now, I don't care if it pertains to finances. I don't care if it pertains to health. I don't, I don't care if it pertains to issues of relationships. It doesn't matter what it pertains to. Guess what? The reason that you need to understand the significance of having God's armor on is because we don't wrestle against what? Natural things. Meaning what? We can't see our enemy. 
We can't see them. We don't see these quote-unquote principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, but they're there. We don't have to see them to gain victory over them, but because we can't see them, that's why we need God's armor. That's why we need God's help. Because obviously if we could see them, we could address them directly in relationship to what we're seeing. But we can't, so we have to keep on the armor of God. Verse 13, therefore take up again, how much? The whole armor of God that you may be able to do what? So think about what James chapter 4 said in verse 6 again. James chapter 4, excuse me, verse, uh, James chapter 4 verse 7. Submit to God. Resist the devil. If you submit to God, what are you doing? Resisting the devil. This is a very similar statement. What's it saying? Put on the armor of God. You're submitting to him. What will you be doing? You'll be resisting the devil. You'll be able to do what? Withstand the devil. You won't give in. Can I get a better amen? So if I take up the whole armor of God, what will I be doing? I'll be resisting the devil. I'll be able to what? Withstand in the evil day, having done all. Guess what I'll do? I'll continue to stand. So how do I do this? 14. So here we go. You stand therefore how? You stand therefore. We're still talking about submission to God, agreeing with God. You stand therefore having girded your waist with what? Truth. Truth. So, you know, relating to the girding aspect, it's like a belt. Girding here is a belt that they would put around their waist. How many understand that that belt that they actually had of armor helped hold everything else in place? Not just the sword, not just the aspect of their garment. It basically held everything else in place. Guess what's going to hold everything else in place in your life in relationship to walking in a position of getting heaven's help? The truth. The truth. So to literally you and I, to be able to have our life girded with the, our, our girt, not just the waist, our life girded with the truth, surrounded by the truth. Guess what this means? If you want heaven's help, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to have to become a lover of the truth. What's the truth? God's word. Spend no time in God's word. How much do you think you're going to get of heaven's help? You spend time in the world every day getting affected by it just by being in it. How much more do we not need to be affected by the word of God, the truth of God? Right? If we're going to agree with God, how many know we need to hear what God's saying consistently? And we need to continue to feed on the truth of God's word as it relates to our life and everything in relationship to what we're going to walk out and relying upon God is going to be based on one thing, his truth. Because that's the thing that even though we can't see it always in manifestation, that's the thing that's eternal. And that's why it can change anything you see in the natural. But the whole point of taking up the belt of truth is, guess what? I am going to go by what God says no matter what. But you're not going to do that if you're not going to do what? Surround your life with the truth. How do you surround your life with the truth? Help me out. How do I surround, how do I surround my life with truth? How do I do that? Live in the Word. Fellowship with God in the Word. How else do I do that? Huh? Hear the Word preached. How else do I surround myself with truth? Come on, how else do I surround myself with truth? How about studying the Bible? How about confessing the Bible? See, if you're going to surround yourself with truth, you're not only going to live in the Word, you're not only going to come here and preach, but guess what else you're going to do? You're going to have it come out of your mouth all the time. 
You're going to have a confession that's in line with what? Who God says you are, what God says you have, what God says you can do. Faith does what? It not only believes, but it also speaks. So if I am going to gird my life with the truth, I got to live in it. I got to continue to hear it preach. And I got to also do what? Confess it out of my, my own mouth. I got to be speaking it all the time. You should spend a whole lot more time in your vehicle listening to the truth proclaimed than other stuff from the world. If you're going to listen to what the world has to say by news and all that kind of stuff in your vehicles or driving around then the truth, what are you going to do? You're going to get stuff contrary to what the word of God says. So we need to surround ourselves with truth. Amen? Number two, he goes on to say, also having put on what? The breastplate of righteousness. So if I surround my life with truth, one of the truths that I find in the word of God is I also have already been given what the Bible calls the gift of righteousness. Tell your neighbor right now, tell your neighbor, I'm pre-warning you. Right now, tell your neighbor, I'm pre-warning you. Don't raise your hand now. So if you raise your hand, you didn't listen. I'm giving you that pre-warning up front. When I go preach in other churches or other places of ministry and I deal with the gift of righteousness, I say this often. How many of you are trying to get right with God? I pre-warned you. How many are you trying to get right with God? You'd be amazed how many people will lift their hands. It's usually three-fourths or more of the... Con- I'm, I'm not joking. I've never yet seen a place anywhere I've preached that I've said, how many, before I even begin to talk about that you've been made the right, or I ever even say that, say, how many, how many are working on trying to get right with God? Over three-fourths of the hands go up. I post a daily blog. Uh, that daily blog on social media often talks about the gift. I just did it not too long ago, like a handful of days ago. I had one about the very fact, you're not going to get any more right with God than you are right now. If you're born again, you're as right with God as you're ever going to be. And even though I said all that and explained all that, guess what a guy did to respond on my post? He said, I'm doing my best every day to be right with God. Guess what you're not doing? You're not taking up the whole armor. I said, you're not taking up the whole armor. You're supposed to do what? You're supposed to agree with God. What did God say? You are the righteousness of God. You got it as a free gift. Can I get a better amen? You're not going to be right with God one day. You already are. Now, this is important as it relates to the help of heaven because guess what? Getting that gift of righteousness did. It made you right with God to receive all that he has already provided. You now have a right to all that Jesus died and paid for. What gives you a right to all that Jesus died and paid for? Your gift of righteousness. We don't earn anything from God. You do understand, obviously, we reap what we sow. If we sow to the flesh and continue to sow into all kinds of negativity and wrong things and lies and everything, we're going to experience some of the benefit of that. But that is not me and you earning anything from God to come out of that and start confessing what God says. We're just agreeing with God. And as we agree with God, guess what happens? Heaven's help kicks in, and all of a sudden you see it start working because now you're operating in faith. Can I get a better amen? Say this. My righteousness with God received at salvation gave me the right to everything God has available for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So us doing what's right in the sight of God, agreeing with God, is not us earning anything. We're taking advantage of what we've been given. We're not earning it because if you could have earned it, you didn't need the gift of righteousness. 
So you got to be reminded all the time. So how do we deal with this stuff? One, surround yourself with the truth. Anything that comes to you contrary to the truth, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3 through 5, what do you do? Cast it down. That's a lie. I'm not listening to that. If you know the truth, what do you got to do to counter that uh, aspect of what the enemy tries to do to get you in disagreement with God? Anything contrary to the truth that you ever have come to your mind, what do you got to do? Cast it down. And then the second thing, anytime that you start getting to the point where you don't feel like I'm very right with God, you better start dealing with your little soulish feelings and stop going by what your soul says and go by what your heart knows. Breastplate, covering the heart. My heart already knows I'm right with God. So what do you do? You start addressing that lie and say, nope, already right with God. He gave it to me as a gift. So I have a right. Say I have a right to all that God gave me. Verse 15, moving on. Having shod your feet with the preparation of what? The gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. Preparing yourself that as you go out into this world, you got to be reminded of the good news of what God did to give you peace. Hold your place back up to Romans. I'll show it to you. Back up to Romans. You know what a lot of people do today? A lot of people still think God's mad at them. Believers. A lot of people think God's punishing them. A lot of people think that God's not happy with them. Therefore, he's not going to bless them. He's not going to help them. He's not going to do anything he can to try to bring them out of that situation. Because after all, look what all I've done. He's got to be mad at me. So in essence, saying he's mad at me would mean that he is now at enmity with me. That we're basically kind of button heads and... It'd be like in the relationship of a natural mom and dad with a child or whatever. And all of a sudden they're not getting along, not seeing eye to eye and they're butting heads. Well, let me help you. The only way that you would do that with God is because you turn your back on him. God will never turn his back on you. Look at Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been. See, this is how you walk prepared when you go out in this world. I'm going to give you the good news of peace. It's right here in Romans 5.1. What is the gospel of peace? This is it. Having been justified by what? So being justified is like just as if I had not sinned. Yeah, but I've sinned. But in the eyes of God, your spirit man's perfect because your spirit still is obviously cleansed of all of that. That's your your fleshly nature doing that. We're going to talk about that when we get to it. But again, as a spirit being, are you still justified in the eyes of God? Yes, you are. If you are not, just as if you never sinned, still that way today, that means you got to get born again again. But you don't. You just do it one time. So being justified by what? How many of you put your faith in Jesus Christ to receive the gift of salvation and have him become the Lord of your life and you know you're born again? Now you can raise your hand on that one. So if you've done that, guess what? Already justified. So if I'm justified, what do I now have? I have peace with God. Read it. Having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through what Jesus did, not through what I've done. What's that mean? You ready? Even though in the natural, how many of you know, have you ever heard, you know, in a relationship or maybe even you in your life with uh, parents, parents and kids get at war. Can I help you? You'll never be at war with God. Why? Because you've now been given peace with God. God's not going to fight with you. Why? Because he's going to have peace between you and him. Whether you like it or not, that's the way he's going to see it. Because having been justified by faith, guess what? I now have. What if I mess up? I now have. 
I didn't lose it. I now have what? Because I'm justified. Spirit made brand new. Just as if I didn't sin. Guess what I have? Peace with God. So what does the devil want to do to try to rob you from heaven's help? Really easy. He does it all the time with a lot of Christians. Well, you really don't deserve to be healed for what you've done. You really don't deserve for God to bless you. Because honestly, you've not been the kind of believer that you really should be. You know that. You haven't lived like you should. You haven't gone to church like you should. All this again, not saying those things aren't, aren't good. But all this based on what you have or haven't done. And what the devil then begins to try to tell you is, God's not going to bless you. God's not going to heal you. God's not. Number one, by the way, which I'll talk about in a minute, he's not going to try to do that. He already has. But you got to understand this. What the devil does is he tries to make you think God's now mad at you. I love this, this truth in the context of the book of Isaiah. God literally declared and prophesied it. And he said, as your redeemer, I will never be angry with you again. Just as I promised that I would never flood the earth again. I'll never be angry with you. If what? You receive his redemption. Now, isn't that amazing? God doesn't get angry with us. But we think he does. If you think he does, guess what you're thinking? You're falling for a lie that I don't have peace with God. But you do. See, I do. All of us have peace with God because the Bible said you do. Here we are again. Are you submitting to God and agreeing with him? Or are you taking what obviously your flesh tells you or what the enemy tells you? Say it. God's not going to punish me. We'll get into this and in dealing with the sin side. But how do we know God won't punish us? I'll tell you how. The work of propitiation. There's four redemptive works. Justification, reconciliation, regeneration, propitiation. What's propitiation mean? Propitiation means Jesus satisfied the wrath of God, punishment. And that's why I'm so glad the book of Ephesians says we will not, believers, face the wrath to come. That means God's anger. You know why? That anger was satisfied. Is God angry with me? No, he's not. But you know how many believers think he is? You know how many people that are born again think God's mad at them? Well, the reason this ain't working is because God must be mad at me for what I said about that other person last week or what I did in this situation or what I did in that situation. Let me help you. God's not mad at you. You listening? He's not mad. Why? You got peace with God. Good news. Put on. Come on. Back to Ephesians 6. Put on the gospel boots of peace. Prepare yourself, verse 15, when you walk out into this world, that when the devil tries to tell you God's mad at you, guess what you should remember? Romans 5, 1. He's not mad at me. I have peace with God. How many are happy about that? Lift your hands and say, thank you, Father. I have peace with you. You're not angry with me, nor will you be. Hallelujah. Now, does it disappoint God when we don't walk in these blessings and what he has for us? Sure. But is he mad at you? No. Is he punishing you? No. No. People walk in the light of what they sow into their life. If you sow to the flesh, Galatians 6, you're going to reap corruption. That's not God punishing you. That's you, darling, sowing the wrong things into your life. If you keep listening to garbage and junk, you, what you sow into your life is what you're going to get. Then you're going to get corruption out of that. But if you sow the truth, guess what you're going to get? Freedom. Amen. Liberty. I get a good amen on that. So watch this again. In verse 15, we are to have our feet shod, meaning that when we walk through this world, the devil's going to do everything he can to make us think God's mad at us. I can't tell you as a perfectionist how many times I've had to deal with this in my life. 
somebody who was driven by perfection to do everything perfect, that every time I failed, anybody failed besides me? Every time I, I stumbled and fell. We'll talk about this. This is powerful. This is absolutely powerful to know. Even though I may stumble and fall, guess what, my enemies? I will not stay down. Guess what you need to do? Get back up. You know why a lot of Christians stay down and never get back up? They think God's mad at them. They don't have on the gospel boots of peace. So I got to be prepared every day. When the enemy comes at me saying God's mad, you know what I'm going to say? Romans 5.1. Romans 5.1. Thank you, Father. Let me tell you, devil. And just in case you can't read, devil, I'll just quote that verse to you. Amen. And then you declare it. Because of what Jesus has done, I have been justified by faith. Therefore, I have peace with God. Just in case you didn't know it, I have peace with God. What's the next one? Verse 16. Above all, taking what? The shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench what? How many? All the fiery darts of the... So these fiery darts literally are what Satan tries to do to deal with and come at our thought life to keep us from trusting in and believing our God. That's why we need the shield of faith. Our trust and our belief in God needs to trump those fiery darts. Because all these fiery darts are trying to do is to get us into doubt and unbelief. To again get us focused on what we're seeing and not what God said. How do we keep the shield of faith in place? I'll tell you how. By constantly saying what God's word says because you're hearing it. Right? How do we keep the shield of faith in place? By hearing... And hearing by what? Word of God. So you got to realize when the enemy tries to convince you in relationship to what you know, he's going to try to get you to do to doubt God or in any way walk in unbelief towards God. You got to continue to do what? You got to continue to stand strong in faith knowing, nope, God's word said it. I believe it. That settles it in Jesus' name. And I'm going to keep my faith strong because I'm going to keep hearing what God says. So you and I got to recognize the power of our faith in God. Simply confessing again. What does faith do? Faith believes and faith what? Speaks. And it doesn't look at what you've seen in the natural. Verse 17. You also need to take up what? The helmet of salvation. These are all ways we submit to God. We agree with him. What is the helmet of salvation? Thessalonians gives you a little better definition. It's called the hope. Take up the helmet as the reference to the hope. Of salvation. What's hope? Expectation of good to come. So you know what the devil also wants to try to convince people of? You're not going to make heaven. Jesus isn't really coming back for you. But see, if you maintain belief in what the Bible says, you have an expectation of your salvation that's coming. You're waiting for it. You're anticipating it. So you're in no way being led astray by Satan to now pull away from God because after all, really he's not coming after you or you're just not going to make heaven on and on and on he would go. But you and I got to maintain what? Right thinking of what we're expecting, what we know is coming. And when you do that, the Bible even says it'll help you stay out of sin. Because when you obviously know he's coming and you're preparing for that and you're ready for the rapture, you're not trying to do anything to get in a position where you'd wind up lukewarm with God. So we keep on the helmet of hope, of salvation, expecting our, uh, our redemption, our ultimate redemption from Jesus when he returns. It's like Pastor Barclay said in this teaching he just did at a New, New Way Church. He said, I don't believe most of you woke up today thinking today could be the day that Jesus could come back. But what if Christians did that every day? What are they doing? They're keeping their hope. 
and the salvation that's to come. Could be today. Folks, it could happen before you go to sleep tonight. Do you understand? And you got to do what? Maintain that expectation. Because if you do, Satan's going to have a real hard time taking advantage of you. Notice the last one here. Not only the helmet of the hope of salvation, but also what? The sword of the Spirit, which is what? What is it? The Word of God. The Word of God. Some throw prayer in as another aspect of a weapon, but I would just line that up with the Word because if you're praying, the most effective way to pray is pray the Word. So what is the sword? So look at all the rest of them. You know, all the rest of them relate to stuff that are protective, but what's the sword? It's an offensive weapon. So if I'm going to agree with God, as I've been saying all night tonight, if I'm going to agree with God and not disagree with him and get heaven's help, what do I need to be doing every day? Your sword needs to be out every day. Now, the phrase there, the sword of the spirit, he says, which is the word of God. The phrase, the English language word in the New Testament, referring to God's word, has two different definitions to it. One's logos, one's rhema. Logos is the whole of the Bible. That's not logos. That's rhema. What's rhema mean? Got to be spoken. You don't have your sword working if you're not saying what God says. You listening? I mean, every day when I'm showering, I'm going through confession, not because of some religious routine, but just simply because I want to keep hearing what God's word has to say. And I'm not even reminding myself, but even as I go out into the world, I'm declaring what God says. And you ought to start going on the offensive in relationship to your life and the lives of others where you see Satan working. I've said this so many times, folks. When are believers going to really start taking over the atmosphere and where they're at? When are we going to do that? Because how many times you go in the world, I don't care where you are, and you, ha- and you hear people all the time, they're, they're exalting and magnifying their God the devil through cussing and all this foul language and stuff. Well, what doesn't give you the right to equal time? They'll think I'm a nut. You care about what, you, what they think about you? You don't think they're a nut. They're, they're lifting up their God, Satan. They don't realize it, but they are. With all the foul language and stuff, they're saying, words change atmosphere. Read the Bible. Go through the scriptures. Word change atmosphere. You know what we need to be doing? We need to be driving Satan back. We're not sitting back waiting for him to attack and then pull the sword. You need to be using it every day. And as it relates to the environment you're in, why don't we start taking control of the environment we're in? Why are we waiting for the sinner to speak up first? Why do more Christians not in the context to where they're at in relationship to where they're working or where they're at every day on occasion just say, glory to God. Hallelujah. What are you saying when you say hallelujah? Praise the Lord. Lord. It's not that they need to know it. What are you doing? Let me help you. Demons know it. They know what you're doing. Can I get a better amen? I'm not telling you go around everywhere in public and just be saying praise the Lord. Glory to God. But you know, how is it that we're so easily influenced by evil, but not as easily influenced by good? That we had no problems using foul language and saying stupid stuff when we were a sinner. But now that we're saved and we got good stuff to say. Come on, we have a sword of the Spirit to actually declare what God says. Why should we not be declaring what God says about us? And I'll tell you when you need to do it on a consistent basis in your life. Every single day when you wake up, you need to start declaring what God's Word says about you. And especially as the enemy then tries to counter what you're obviously saying in, your, in relationship to your confession, you better start addressing that rascal and say, no, no, here's what the Bible says. Every time, uh, every time Jesus was tempted in the garden, what did Jesus say? It's written. 
Let me just remind you. So I'll relate this as a story that Brother Hagin went through. Some of you heard it before, but it'll bear worth repeating. So in one situation where Brother Hagin was, I mean, remember he got healed with an incurable heart disease, incurable blood disease. He was, you know, clearly told paralysis, you're going to die by the age of 16. You're not going to get beyond that. He was 16. He was on his deathbed, but he got in the word of God. He started agreeing with God. Even when his body couldn't function yet, he started agreeing with God. Started declaring what God said. And as he did, guess what he's doing? He's starting to get heaven's help working in him. And he gets healed. And after he gets healed and he gets into ministry some years later, he's actually at a, a minister's house at the time. This happened twice in his life. In this case, he's at a minister's house. He goes to lie down in the bed that night after uh, preaching at his church. And every symptom that he had before when he was a kid came back on him. Heart started beating irregular. I don't mean like, uh, it felt, I mean, it was happening. He, he could feel his heart beating irregular. Was, all these same symptoms came back on him, every one of them. So now you got an option. Are you going to agree with God? You're going to agree with the Bible. Excuse me. You're going to agree with God, you're going to agree with the devil. You're going to agree with your body. Agree with God. I said agree with God. I can't tell you how many times he shared stories where he's prayed for people, seen them healed, and they walked healed for months, you know, some of them even years, and then all of a sudden one of those little pains came back on their body, and the very first words out of the mouth, guess what they said? I thought I was healed. And the moment they said that, guess what they did? They got out of agreement with God. And they got an agreement with the enemy. And the enemy started coming back in. So this happened in his body. And you know what he did? He pulled the covers up over his head so he couldn't be too loud to wake up the, you know, the other pastor and his wife. He's in a separate little bedroom, pulls up the cover, and he starts laughing. He what? Starts laughing. Because he knows this is an attack of the enemy. So he just starts laughing. He said, I didn't feel like laughing. I just putting it on. I, ha, 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 And then he said, I heard these words. I knew it was the devil because it didn't come from my heart. It came from out here. It, all of a sudden, these words spoke up and said, what are you laughing about? I'm laughing at you. <laughs> what, do you what do you mean you're laughing at me, the devil said? I'm laughing at you. Well, why are you laughing at me? I am laughing at you. Well, don't you realize that you aren't going to be laughing long because you ain't going to get your healing this time? And the moment the devil said you're not going to get your healing this time, guess what he did? Ha, 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 He started laughing. And the devil said, what are you laughing at? I'm laughing at you. Why? You're not going to get your healing this time. Ha, 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 ha. He did that several times. And finally the devil said, I don't get it. What are you laughing at? You. But you don't understand. You're not going to get your healing. He said, I know it. Not going to get it. I already got it. Ho, 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 ho. And the moment he said that, every symptom disappeared. That's called agreeing with God. That's called submitting to God. Heaven's help manifest, every symptom left. Amen? But how many people honestly just immediately respond to the circumstances and start saying, oh my gosh, oh no, oh I thought I was healed, oh wait a minute, what am I going to do? Oh Jesus, no, no, you got to do what? If you want heaven's help, you got to stay submitted, which means you do what? You agree with God. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. 
for more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours. Thank you.